Turn with me this morning to the book of Mark chapter 12 and just hold your finger there for just a moment. How many of you have been with us over the last, I don't know, five weeks? Uh, uh, I know Mardi Gras came in and perplexes every church because, well, I'm not going to go there today, amen. I'm going to let that one slide, praise God. Uh, uh, we, over the last five weeks, God has been doing something in this place. He has, he has shifted something in this place. He shifted something in your pastor over the last five weeks. He's shifted things in my home over the last five weeks. I'm not talking about my four-year-old thinking she's 13 now. I'm talking about there's been a, an alignment in the things of God over the last five weeks. Uh, five weeks ago, we started a series uh, called Love Is, and we dealt with what love really is. And how many of you really understand that the definition that we have of love is really not the real definition of love. When we began to understand what true godly love is and how we should walk in true godly love rather than worldly love. And then the last two weeks, we've been dealing with the one. And, and, and I need you to understand that I feel like it has shifted even greater the things that God wants to do in the church because we have gone back to the heart of God. We've gone back to the roots of God rather than this uh, placating weirdness space of the church that we've created with a bunch of programs and scenarios because everybody's got to be happy rather than everybody being found in God. It's quiet still. Amen. <laughs> I need you to understand that this church is returning to a place that it should have never walked away from. And unfortunately, most churches have done this. I, I helped you to understand that I, I get inundated with church growth emails every week of my life telling me how to be a better church, how to win people, how to close the back door of the church. Why, why, why are we even having to send that email to the church any longer? Why are we sitting at the church? we got to close the back door. Why is the back door even propped open? And why is it an access point to run away? I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't have encounters with God anymore. We have encounters with people. We have encounters with pastors. Mm. We have encounters with church folk who seem like worldly folk but claim God in the middle of it. We, 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 we have to say we got to close the back door, and we say it's all about the front door. No, baby, it's not about the front door or the back door. It's about the house of God becoming a place where he can dwell, where he can move, and he can touch the people's lives, and they can have an encounter with the king rather than an encounter with a production. Yeah. See, it gets real quiet when you say it because, well, pastor, we got to have the cool lights and the cool screens, and, the, and those things are cool, but they're not the ebb and flow of whether God's going to move. What is determined by the movement of God is the anticipation and the expectation of his people when they come to worship him. Did we wake up this morning with the intention of seeing God and receiving what God has? Or did we wake up with the intention of doing church because down in southeast Louisiana, that's what folk do. Because church has really become just a penitent space for the believer in hopes that one day we might make it to heaven. Let me help you with something. I did not wake up with a hope that I might make it into heaven. I woke up with a guarantee this morning that if I breathe my last breath standing at this pulpit, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I did not wake up this morning to come deliver you a message. I did not wake up this morning to come preach some quick, some quick quibs or, or some eloquent statements or some rhyming anecdotes so that you might feel better about yourself. I came to declare the word of God because I'm about the kingdom of of God, and that is what we should all be about. This morning, I'm here to share with you the next phase. Oh, Pastor, there's another one. Yep, get ready because they're just going to keep happening. The next phase of this new mandate that God will not release out of my system. This new mandate that God won't even let me sleep. My, I, we have been talking about it, and people are like, Pastor, are you okay? I, I'm fine. I'm just under a lot of weight right now. 
I walk into a Starbucks, sit down at a table, start bawling my eyeballs out. What's wrong with you, Pastor? Ah, God won't quit messing with me. Go into Walmart, walking down the aisles trying to buy something. I start weeping and crying. Don't know what's wrong with me. Then I start to realize that the whole thing, the reason I'm weeping is I'm beginning to feel the pain and the pressure of the loss rather than the pain and pressure of my own existence. I'm starting to realize what the world is really made up of, that the world is not made up of my problems, that the world is made up of a bunch of people that are dying and going to hell, and we're okay with it. It was grieving my spirit. And so God said, God, what do we do? And for years I have said this, what are we going to do as a church? The mission, it's on the screen out, the sign out there. It says to reach, restore, raise up, to win the lost. We're going to do all these great things. And over the last five weeks, God says, you're going to do none of it. I said, God, I don't understand this. He said, I'm about to change the mission of your church because I need you to see. I need you to see. I need you to see, not just be hearers, but be doers. I need you to open up your eyes. You cannot walk where you're not willing to look. He said, I'm going to show you what it is I have for this church, and I'm going to show you the direction you have to go. But I need you to understand that this mission has to be more than the existence of a Sunday morning service from 10 o'clock to whenever. It has to be more than the worship songs. It has to be more than the preaching. It has got to become the life that we live. God has to become the life that we live. If we are not living for God, then he is not our God. If we are not living for God, then he is not our God. We cannot claim a God that we do not live for. That's like me trying to claim Pastor Dylan and Elizabeth's daughter as my own when I did not birth her. Or that I did not bring her to life. That lie is my daughter. They're looking at me going, no, it ain't. We'll fight you for it. That's like you trying to claim my kids. No, they were my kids. Even though they drive me nuts, they're my kids. Those are my babies. Go make your own. Leave mine out of it. Oh, I love your son like my own. No, you don't. Because you're not up last night at 4 o'clock in the morning. Dealing with leg cramps because he's got growing pains. No, you're... <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, is that we claim God when it's comfortable, when it's convenient, rather than claiming him all the time. Can you claim God when the news report says the world's going to hell? Can you claim him? No, 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 no. I didn't say pray to him. I said claim him. Uh-oh. Can I'm going to just say this to you. We spend more time begging God to fix things instead of realizing he's already fixing he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is not the author with a bunch of blank pages. He is the author and the finisher of our Do you know that nothing in the world happens without God saying yes? Pastor, there's no way. God said yes, but God will allow things. Read your Bible. There was calamity in the Bible. Yet we still have agreed to serve the God of the Bible. And don't you think that calamity will still be in the world even though he is still on the throne? He was on the throne when calamity was happening. God must not. How could God let this happen? I don't know. Have you stood up and become his voice in the middle of it? Because the only reason things keep happening is because the church gets quieter and quieter. Sex trafficking, it's such a bad thing. We won't say anything about it. Abortion is murder, but we won't say anything about it. Sin is sin, but we won't say anything about it because, God, if we go there, we might make the church break. No, the church is broken as long as we won't say anything about it. And that is not condemnation for those who have walked through it. But God has a better plan. 
God has a better purpose. And when God begins to touch our hearts, we begin to understand that purpose. The problem is, is in the church today, we do not let God touch our hearts. We let him touch our pocketbooks. I got quiet real quick. What do you mean? I'm not talking about your, I'm not talking about your wallet. I'm talking about your livelihood. Because if God's not putting it in your pocket, then he must not be a God worth serving. That's how we deem it now. Because we quit on God when we don't feel like we're number one to him. But maybe the reason we don't feel like we're number one to him is because we haven't made him number one yet. Because let's be honest, let's really be honest, the church is jacked up. We serve God when it's convenient. We do not serve him all the time. So let me help. I need you to go with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 29. Pastor, you, you've been tight for the last couple of weeks. Just enjoy. Because I am on a mission and a mandate. And I hope to God you'll catch this today. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. You ready? You really ready? I hope you're ready. Verse 29 says, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with what? With all of your heart, with all of your, with all of your, and with all of your. It goes on, it says, this is the first commandment and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as there is no other commandment greater than these. Did you ever read that line after all of that? That there is no other commandment in the word of God that is greater than these. Now, when he says that, he is not defining an order. He's defining a power of that, of that declaration. That these are the two greatest declarations that are made by God himself to man. That you shall love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you shall love your neighbors as yourself. So let me help you with this. The brand new mission of this church, and you will hear this all the time, is two parts. To love God and love people. And we will do nothing else. We will love God and love people. But this morning, I need to deal with the first part because this is where the church is stuck. Because we keep trying to love people without loving God. And there is a reason why he says love God first, then love your neighbor. We keep trying to love everybody else without loving God, and that kind of love is broken. So let me divulge a little bit. Let me break down this story for you just a moment. There's a scribe that approaches Jesus, and he hears the rumblings. And scribes used to like to talk, in Bible days, like to talk about the law. There, 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 was, there, there, are, there are promises. There are, there are things that they like to discuss in Jewish law. And so they're all communicating. And Jesus comes in the area, and this scribe, who thinks he's so smart and so theologically great, he looks at Jesus, and he says to Jesus this very simple statement in verse 28. He says, which is the first commandment of all. Thinking that Jesus has no clue, that Jesus is a sham, that he is not the son of God, he is trying to question him, but at the same time entrap him. 
And I love what Jesus responds back to him because this is what he says to him. He says in verse 29, he says, the first of all commandments is hear, O Israel, hear people of God. Mm -mm, mm -mm, I need you to understand, watch this. If you will take the word people of Israel every time you see it in the Bible and call it me. Because he is, re, 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 he is saying or speaking to the people of God. Those who have chosen to accept the Messiah and call him the Son of God, that is who he's speaking. The people, hear, O Israel. So when he says, hear, O Israel, he's talking to you. The Lord our God, the Lord, the oversight, the great I am, the there ain't nobody else but him, the one. He is the one. He is one. He is number one, not number two, three, four, or five, not a afterthought or a secondary thought. The number one pursuit of our existence should be the one who created us. He said, the first of all commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I need you to help to understand this for just a second. Jesus is actually responding to the Jewish people, the ones that are stuck in the law, refers to a space called the Shema. The Shema is a prayer that is prayed by Jewish people both morning and night. It is the same declaration every day, and true, devout Jews say it every single day. And I started to think, maybe we should start. Could you imagine if you started your day and said, the Lord God is one. There is no other. He is the one. And then when we went to bed at night, God is the one. There is no other. There is no one like him. He is the one. Could you imagine if you'd get it ingrained in your head so deep you, would know what, you wouldn't look for anything else. You'd just know that God was. And so he responds to the scribe, listen, I, I understand the law, but I also understand the heart of God. So let me communicate it into a way better that you've been reading it through your, through, your, through your intellectual thought process rather than your heart condition. He says, the first, the first commandment is, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. In order for you and I to fulfill his mission, God must become first. Not an afterthought. First. Watch this. When you go through a problem, is God first? Before you answer yes, do a retract and think about it. Because atypically, what we tend to do is when we go through a moment in life, we have a tendency to complain, worry, doubt, be confused, call somebody, post it on social media, tell the world, but we never told God. As if God never knew in the first place. As if your communication to God, God didn't already know already. He just wanted to see if you'd confess it to him. He just wanted to see if you'd bring it to him. Do you think that God doesn't see your problems? You think that God doesn't see your struggles? You don't think that God sees the times that you're going through? He just wants to see what you're going to call on in the middle of it. And for some reason, church folk who claim God, believers who claim God, have a tendency to call on God last minute rather than first. And what the Jewish people do is they believe in going to God first. They call it a first fruit. It is literally the very first thing that they do when they wake up. And it is the last thing they do before they go to bed. They actually take the law and they say, like in the book of Psalms, on the law of the Lord doth he meditate both day and night. He makes God the governor of their day and of their nighttime. They are two distinct spaces. And if you don't believe it, ask yourself why God created the heavens and the earth morning or day and night. He separated the two, day and night. They were two distinct places. They probably should be two distinct places in your existence too. Somebody said, Pastor, I go to bed with night terrors and I have nightmares. It's because you put, didn't put God before you went to bed. You better take him to bed, not just put him in the front of your day. 
Sometimes he needs to conquer your mind more than he needs to conquer the people around you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. We must believe this. We must believe that there is only one God, not just in that God is God, not Allah, not Buddha, not any other thing, but God is the one true God, but also in what we choose to worship and serve. Because some of us have made people our gods. We've made things our gods. We chase things other than God and wonder why we never can put our hands on them. Because God is a jealous God. And he will not have you worship something else. You go, man, I see all these people that have everything. They're miserable. A lot of people that I've had the privilege of talking to that are extremely wealthy but living in the world, you will find out how alone and isolated they really are. And their hearts are broken. They are not walking in the abundance of life. They are walking in the frailty of existence because truth be told, when all the money is spent and they breathe their last, there is no eternity. They have no promise for tomorrow. They just have an existence for today. And unfortunately, that's where the church is. In a lot of ways, we are existing for the moments that we live in. Are you living with the existence of understanding that eternity is real? Or are you just living the existence of, I hope that I might make it. I hope that I might make it. I hope, oh, I didn't make it. Do you understand what the Bible says about hell? See, hell. Say, say the word hell. Say the word hell. hell. I'm not talking about cussing. Say the word hell. hell. Hell is a place. Hell is a place. The Bible says where skin is torn, gnashing of teeth, torment, eternal fire. And you go, oh, that's just, that's just fiction in the Bible. That's not real. That's not real. It's not a place. I don't care what. Do you understand that sin separates you from God? If sin separates you from God, then the only place you end up is where? That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. The word death is separation from God. If you are separated God, there is no purgatory. You are entering into hell. There is heaven and there is hell. There is no middle ground. You either make it or you don't. But for some reason, we keep playing around with our lives like it's okay. It's not a big deal. We're just, we might not, we might, we, if we're just good to people. That's not what it says. It says love who? Where does he say it? Number one. Not number two. Love him first. Let me have something. You'll be greater at loving people when you start loving God. It says, and you shall love, in verse 30, it says, and you shall love the Lord your God. Now watch this. We state this all the time. God, we love you. Oh, God, we, oh, God, we love you. God, oh, God, do you hear me? We love you. And God goes, really? Love is not said, it's shown. It's demonstrated. And if you don't believe that love is demonstrated, then ask Jesus what he was doing on the cross. Before you say, no, love is just a word. Love, as long as I say it, they'll feel it. No, baby, love is demonstrated. That's why Jesus went to the cross, to demonstrate love. Not to be a martyr, but to demonstrate the Father's love to us, that he was willing to die so that you might live. And you shall love the Lord your God. God, we love you, but God is saying, but what do you love me with? What do you have that you love me with? Well, here's the great part. He gives us four distinct areas that God said to love him with. And you cannot love him in one, you must strive to love him in all. Y'all with me? Yeah. You're like, oh God, he's going to give us more stuff to do. Have you read your Bible lately? There's a lot of things to do in this book. 
And I love every minute of it because every time I'm willing to do it, greater things happen in my life. He says, number one, to love the Lord God with what? Mm. The heart, the center of the total personality of a human being, especially the reference to intuition, feeling, or emotion. It represents your present space, your existence. Without a heart, you do not live. Okay? I need you to understand that. So many, well, I'm going to try to help you with this. So many people just love God with their heart, and you can't because your heart is a temporal existence. It is only here on earth that your heart beats. When your heart stops, you no longer live in this earth. Your heart does not go to heaven with you. It stays here. I'm going to show you this in Scripture because when it hit me, I went, holy cow, I've never seen it that way. Okay, now watch. It represents your now, your current condition, the space that you live in. This is why we're so good at saying we love him with our whole heart is because we want him to just be the God of right now. We want God to be the sugar daddy of our existence right now. We want God to give us what we want right now. So we say, God, I love you with all my heart. I love you with my current existence. I love you as long as I'm beating. I love you, God, as long as my heart. But if my heart skips a beat, I might not say I love you as much. If my heart starts to have an arrhythmia issue, I might not say it as much because now my mortality is in play. It's amazing to me how many people I have watched mortality hit and watched their declaration of God shift. Because the moment death hits the table, all of a sudden you're now, it's now sped up and you're now dealing with, oh God, why aren't you, wait, wait, God, why, why aren't you doing it? No, 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 no. He starts with your, with your now existence. He says, to love me with your heart. But do we? In order for us to love him with all of our heart, he must become the owners of our hearts, not the renters of our heart, not the visitors of our heart. He must become the full owner of our heart. That means that you take your being, your, your existence, your now, and you deliver it to God, and you say, God, my now belongs to you. I love you with my life, with my whole heart. If you take my whole heart, that means you have my whole existence until I breathe my last breath in the earth. Amen. You have my whole heart. Let me say this to you. The reason a lot of people will not give God their whole heart is because, truth be told, their heart has been broken. And for some reason, we have become afraid to give God something broken. Because we think that we have to show up, with, show up to God with all the answers, with all the great things. We have to be perfect in his sight. You cannot find one scripture in the Bible that says, come to me perfect. He says, come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He understands what life brings. He understands what people bring into your life. But you get to choose what you carry. Can I just say this to you as a sidebar? Stop picking up stuff and being in pain and then blaming God for your struggles. He did not put it on you. You picked it up and decided to carry it. He said to cast your burdens at the foot of the cross. He did not say carry them around and complain to him all day. I am so tired of watching believers walk around with their garbage. I had another word, but I had to be careful. Their stuff, their poop. Walking around, carrying their poop and going, God, it stinks. And God goes, I didn't tell you to pick it up. Why are you walking around with it? God, this is so heavy. Uh, oh, it drives me nuts how many believers complain about their existence because they won't give their full lives to God. He said, love me with your heart. Every bit of it. Even if it's broken, give it to me. I'll be the carpenter and I'll repair it. 
and then I'll give it back to you in fullness, wholeness, so that you can walk with me and talk with me and hear me as you're living in this earth. God says, number one, you're going to have to give me your whole life here. Now, I, I can sit here on this one topic, the entire message, and send you home with just this one point. Because let's be honest, this is where we struggle. We give God Sundays. We might give God a midweek. But man, when we get home, there ain't much. There's not much communicating and praying. We will become prayer warriors when pastor calls a Saturday morning prayer meeting. We will be prayer warriors on a Monday night prayer meeting. But my God, to get you to pray for your dinner. My God, to get you to pray for your kids on the way to school in the morning. Here's another one. My God, to get you to pray for your spouse. My God, just to get you to pray. Just to open up your ears long enough so God can talk to you. To be in communion with the Father and to know that he will speak if you listen. Why is it we won't love God with all of our heart? Because we're still trying to fix what someone else did to it. That's the problem. We keep putting our hearts in the wrong hands. You want to have a great life? You want to know the, you want to know the, you want to know the culmination to some of those books that says live your, great, your best life now? Give your heart to God. You'll live the greatest life you'll ever have. Live, you'll live the greatest life on this earth if you give your heart to God. No, it's if I get a lot of money and I have all this nice stuff and, and blah, blah, blah. No, baby, you can't take it to heaven with you. Let it go. I used to think I could buy my kids happiness. Now I just color with them. Y'all think I'm kidding. I've tried it all. Found out time is more valuable than money. Daddy, where are you going? Will you be home today? Yeah, I'll be home. Good. Can we watch a movie and hang out? Sure. Because they'd rather time than my money. Does God own your now? Does he own your present? Do you love him with all of your heart? Because if you don't, I need you to commit that today. Because we can't get through this mission until we start dealing with the priorities, the foundations of this purpose. To love the Lord your God. Know he is number one. Love the Lord God with, number one, all of your heart. All of your now. And then he goes and says, what does he say? He goes beyond and he says, with all of your soul. Your soul is not your heart. Although in the Jewish culture, they overlap each other. When this was written in the law, this was, this was, they overlap each other, but they are two distinct different places. Your heart represents the current. Your soul represents your eternity. He says, love me with your now, but even love me with your forever. See, here's the truth of it. If you love the Lord God with all your heart, you'll love him what you do every morning where you wake up and the way you do life. But if you love him with your soul, you'll love him with an intention of finishing in eternity. I'm trying to help you all this morning. (coughs) He said, he said, I don't just need you to love me in the temporal space of your existence in the day by day stuff. I need you to love me into eternity, knowing that you and I have a plan, that I have a purpose for you. So that when you're done here, I'm calling you into heaven so that we can be together again. I am going to love. Could you imagine having to go to heaven without your love for him? Think about this for a second. It's amazing to me. People will get to heaven and say, God, we, we did all these things, but Jesus says, you never loved me. Because that's what he's saying when he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't even know you. It's because the love transpiring here never came into play. You were doing things in the church. You were serving in the church, but you were doing it as unto yourself because you were loving yourself, but not loving God. 
And he says, with all of your soul, the sword soul represents this, the spiritual part of a person that determines its moral aspects. The soul is separate from the body. And let me give you a really good one. Jesus didn't come to save your heart. He came to save your soul. Right. Right. Do you understand that Jesus did not come to save you in this earth? He came to save you for the kingdom of God. Why? He says, because Jesus came as the, with the mission of reconciliation. Reconciliation to what? The Father. Yeah, he came to bring you home. He didn't come to give you a cute life on earth. He came to bring you back into the kingdom of God to bring you back to the Father. That's the whole purpose here. We don't celebrate eternity anymore. We celebrate church services. I don't care about this. I care about that. Where am I going when it's over? My wife always asks me, where are we going to be? Are you going to know me? I don't know. She said, you get another boo. I'm coming for you. I get it. And trust me, she will. She will find me. God help me, Jesus. But you got to love him with all of your soul, all of your eternity, all of your forever. If you love him with all of your soul, you are loving him into eternity. What you're saying is, God, when this is over, I look so forward to being with you again. Your heart is crying out because it desires to be with the Father again. Watch this. When he saves your soul, your spirit, your soul cries out, Abba, Daddy. Why? Because he says he knew you in your mother's womb. He was intimate with you before the foundations of the earth. He spoke life into you. Your soul knows your creator. And when he moves in, that thing takes over and you go, ooh, this is fun, but that's going to be a party. You get excited about it. You start loving him with your eternity. You have a desire to not break the eternal bond with God. You have a desire to hold on to him, to cling to him, to never loosen from him, but to run with him. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Then he says that with all of your mind. Now, let me give you some history here for just a moment. Jesus added this piece. In the, book of Luke, in the book of Mark. The original Levitical law did not ever say the word mind. It said with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it says the same exact thing. But when Jesus was asked by the scribe, he added the word mind. Why? Because he says that not only do you need to love me with all of your heart, love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, but you also must gain understanding of the kingdom of God. You must have a wisdom about you, about the things of God. Because truth be told, we do not in the church have a wisdom in the things of God. We have flannel graphs that we learned when we were six, and we're still quoting that same old stuff. We're not claiming the heart of God. We're claiming what we, what just, just moments in existence. We don't have a true understanding. Watch what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5. It says, it says, get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget or nor turn away from the words of my mouth. He said, get understanding. And all you're getting, get understanding. The Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. <coughs> wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. He did not say that doing was the principal thing. He said wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Study to find thyself approved. Why does he say all these things? Because the church half the time doesn't even know why they love God. One of the greatest questions you can ever ask anybody, hey, do you love God? Yeah, hey, I love him. Why? Why do you love him? 
Most of the time they can't even answer. Uh, uh, I had a moment at an altar one Sunday, and I went to the altar and, and I gave my life to God, and that's why I love it. That is the most unpowerful statement on the earth. Why do you love God? I can tell you why I love him. Because at six years old, I was a broken little kid. I didn't understand why daddy wouldn't love him. And he had to become my father. And he's been a dad to me ever since. And even when man failed me, he never did. And so I went through a bunch of stuff. I wanted to die. I wanted to live. I wanted to do all these things. I, I, I wanted to run away. I, 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 but God moved in. Even in the midst of a jail cell, he found me. And he touched me. And he showed me my purpose and my plan that he had for my life. That's what he did for me. That's why I love him. Because he picked up a kid that could have quit and said, I got a plan for you and a purpose for you. Don't stop now. Keep on. Stay with me. I've got something you need to see. He redeemed me. He showed me my value. When the world couldn't show it to me, he did. This is why I love him. I don't love him because he just because he died on a cross. I love him because he kept dying in the midst of my stupidity. That he kept reminding me that the cross was enough. That he kept reminding me that it doesn't matter what anybody else has said about you. I've had a plan for you from the day you took your first breath. Do you understand that I didn't quit on you? That the world might, that your mother and father might forsake you, but I might, I will never. This is why I love him. I don't love him because he gives me good things. I love him because he gave me life. I love him because he gave me eternity. That's why I love him. The church doesn't love him for that anymore. The church loves him for the next promotion at the job. The church loves him for the new car. Are you kidding me? Your God is only good enough for a new car? Your God is only good enough for the promotion at work. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't do those things, but that's not why I love God. I love God because without him, I'm dead. I love God because without him, I'm not breathing today. Do you understand that? I love God because if he hadn't stepped in, baby, you and I wouldn't be sitting in this room talking today. That's why I love God, because he redeemed me. He set me free. He broke the curse of sin off my life. That's why I love him. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. When was the last time you studied the word rather than just hear me preach? When was the last time you did it? Oh, oh, here, and I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. When was the last time you cracked open your Bible besides Sunday? Oh, pastor, don't say that. Don't say that. Stop spending money at Christian bookstores if you're never going to read it. Because just because you carry it doesn't. Listen, you know the devil carries the Bible? The devil knows the word probably better than most Christians do. Because <laughs> everything in this book is going to kill him. He knows what this thing has in it. So he is a understander and, a, and, and walks in wisdom according to the word. That's why when you go through situations in life and you begin to claim the word rather than your emotion, the enemy has to flee because you've now quoted everything that is against him. But the church doesn't know it. So the church goes, Pastor, pray. What am I going to pray? The word. So he says, if you love me with all your heart, love me with all your soul, then love me with all your understanding. In other words, be willing to get to know this book. And I'm not talking about the New Testament only. Hey, instead of us giving away New Testament tracts to new believers, let's just give them a whole book. You might as well get the whole thing in you. Because I understand, well, where do I start? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Start at Genesis. Find out the Father's love for you. Find out what he did for you. And then go read what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote. Understand that he knew you before creation, that he had a plan for you when he was forming the earth. He had you on his mind because he knew he was going to have time with you. 
Get to know him with your mind. Get to know him with your understanding. Take time to read your word. Take, and I'm going to say this to you. Do not do a one-year reading plan because you will find condemnation very fast. And how do you do a one-year reading plan when God begins to speak to you about just one word in one verse? When God says, sit on that word, you go, but I got to read my plan. No, you don't. You got to read the word and let it saturate and let it absorb into your system like a sponge so that when you walk into circumstances and situations, you are now demonstrating the love that you have for God because you understand his word. Thy word hath I hid in my heart. Hmm. That's my greatest comfort. When the doctors say, Brian, we don't know what's wrong with you. Well, I know what my promise is. We can't guarantee. I've had all kinds of diagnoses. You're going to have to have a, a valve put in one day because your heart valve is going to give. Liar. I know what God says. God says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm the righteousness of my daddy. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. A thousand may fall, 10,000 in my right hand, but no plague shall come nigh my dwelling. You devil, go away. I know what my word says. You go, Pastor, that's stupid. You don't want to listen to doctors. No, I don't want to listen to man. I'm going to listen to my creator. I'm going to hold on to his word. I'm going to declare his word. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm going to be rejoicing because God's got me because I love him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. Let me give you the last piece. He says, with all of your strength, with all of your being, with all of your existence. Let me help you with something. Love should be exhausting. So I'm tired of loving him. Good. You're right on the right path. Because that means you're giving it your all. If love doesn't wear you out, then it's not love. I'm just being honest with you. It should wear your butt out. Last night, I'm sitting on the couch. I got home. I wanted to veg out and watch live PD. Because I like that show. Especially when they show Slidell. It's funny. I'm waiting to see somebody in the church one day on live PD. Look, as long as it's not me, we're okay. Amen. All right. Okay. And so, and so I'm watching the show, and baby, what? Netflix isn't working. Okay. Can you come look at it? That's what was on the inside of me. I didn't. I walked in the room. Now, I probably displayed a facial recognition that my wife understood <laughs> She looked at me, she's like, what's wrong? I said, doesn't matter. I said, hand me the remote. So I fixed it, and I put it all back on. She goes, what was wrong? I'm going to go watch my shows. I'll be back in just a little bit. Praise God. Where are you going? <sighs> you don't want to stay here with me? Nope. <laughs> so this is what I did. I walked into the living room, turned the TV off, came right back. Because I understand that love is exhausting. It wears me out. My wife wears me out. Come here, man. You can fix it. Come fix it. Come fix it. You fix it. <laughs> and, and, and all the wives are judging me right now. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I live with it in my home. I'm okay. Amen. Praise God. The truth of the matter is that love is exhausting. It should exhaust everything in me. So should my love for God. 
I should have exhausted every physical space of who I am if I truly love God. I shouldn't just pray just to pray. I should pray till I'm worn out. Oh, I shouldn't just worship to worship. I should worship till I'm worn out. Watch this. It says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. When are you going to give him you? Every, stop. Listen, I'm so tired of the time. I just don't have time. Liar. I see you on your phone. You got time. I just don't have time. I see you indulging in what you want to indulge in. When does God get his? You don't have to be like this space of, well, I'm going to go to my house. I'm going to crawl in the closet. I'm not going to come over 12 hours. That's not what God's saying. God's saying with everything that you are, just love me. Love me with everything that you are. Commit your ways to me. Not your ways to everything else. Let me, let me, let me give you this, this quick analogy. Pastor Ben, come on. This is how I'm closing. Okay, so here's how it looks. You ready? Let me, let me, move, this, let me move this podium out of the way. Here, here's, here's, we all want to sit in the presence of God. Amen? Yes, amen. We all want to sit in the presence of God. Oh, I want to stand in the presence. Okay, you understand what I mean. I'm using it as a metaphor. You want to be in the presence of God. You want to sit in the presence of God. Yes. Understand that you cannot sit in the presence of God until... You have heart. Soul. Mind. And strength. We keep trying to sit in the presence of God with just one. And we are not able to find rest. The chair is supposed to give you a moment to rest in the things that he is. You cannot find rest until you love him with your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to do it perfectly all the time, but it should be the desired goal of us as believers to love God with all four of those legs. Because if one gets kicked out, you will fall. It's amazing. We will love God with heart and sometimes soul. Sometimes our mind, sometimes our strength, and we're, we're rotating legs of a chair and going, why, why is it uncomfortable? Why, why is my back pulled out? Why am I in pain? Why, why isn't it just comfortable? Why can't I find rest? Because God says, this is what you first have to do. Before anything else, you need to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Anything less is not love. He doesn't say if it's comfortable or if it's convenient or if you feel like it today. He said, love me with these four areas. And then you can find rest. There's nothing greater by the time I'm done preaching on a Sunday to sit down. You go, why? I walk so much. Let's see. I'll tell you right now. Hope no, hold on. I'll give it to you. I'll show you. Because I don't think you realize it. By the time a Sunday is done, I have walked. Because I have a pedometer that tells me how far I've walked. I'm trying to see it here. My eyes are going. I've already walked three miles today. That's just since I got up this morning. Three miles before I'm done preaching. And when I'm done in this room and I've finished preaching and I've finished declaring God's word, I have to be able to say that I love him with my heart, 
my soul, my mind, and my strength. Or I will go back to my office and sit down in the chair and ask questions like that. Was that good enough? Is he proud of that word? See, here's the great part about it. When I love God with my heart, my mind, my soul, and strength, I don't need man's approval. I have his. Here's the crazy part. As much as I love the love of my wife, if I walk in with him with my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm not needy of her love. I'm satisfied with his. And here's the crazy part. When I'm satisfied with his love, I have a greater desire to give love away than to receive love from people. So if my wife wakes up and doesn't want to love me that day or love on me that day, if she just looks at me and goes, I just really like you today, which we have those moments, amen, that it's okay because I know the love of God. And the love of God conquers everything. Here's the truth where it lies right now. If you and I do not start loving God the way he has called us to love him, then we will find our spaces of saying that we feel the love of God becoming less and less. And how do you demonstrate the love of God to others if you do not love God with the four legs? Because here's the truth of it. Watch this. If I love God with everything, with all these four things, right? Then shouldn't it be my desire to show others that I love God, all of this, so that they can find rest? So that I can get up from this chair when I have found my rest and go, come here, Joshua. And bring him and go, listen, man, if you'll do all these things, watch, sit down. Find some rest. See, the love of God is created so that you might find rest. So that once you have been rested, you now can go find someone else who needs rest. I told you, everything that we do will now deal with the one, what we're called to do, what we're purposed to do. Not sit in churches, but to go win the lost. To love God with my heart, my now, my soul, my eternity, my mind. In other words, I'm going to gain understanding with God and my strength. You want to know why I take such a great nap on Sundays? Because I've loved him with everything I got. And I want to finish every night. Let me have some. Watch, watch, watch. This is revelation as I'm talking, and I promise I'm almost done. If you're not loving God with all of your strength, you will be restless when it's time to go to sleep. My wife, it's crazy to me. She will crawl in a bit, out. I almost never can do that. But I found the way to fix it for Brian. Because I've for years told her about my insomniac. I can go on four hours of sleep a day and be fine. She was like, how do you do that? I don't know. She has to have her eight. She never ate four or three. Amen. But, but, but I can go on four. But I've found the key to going to sleep. You ready for this? I open up my Bible. How many of you ever fallen asleep when you read your Bible at night? You go, I failed God. I failed him. He's mad at me. I failed when I was supposed to be reading my Bible. Uh-uh. He said, those whose mind is stayed upon him shall be in perfect peace. Perfect peace brings rest. When I love God, I make him not just my priority for my morning, but my priority for my nighttime. And when I choose to rest in him and with my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, I find the greatest night's sleep I have ever had. And I have said this to people with years. If you suffer from insomnia, I will give you a challenge. Get in your word before you go to bed and watch what happens. 
we have to start loving God like this. Come on, Josh. I know you feel uncomfortable sitting on these lights. Come on. I get it. I don't want to be a one-legged Christian. I don't want to be a two-legged Christian. I want to walk in the four pillars of being a believer. There's a difference. I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be a believer. And in order for me to be a believer, he gets all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. This is what we have to do, number one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And if you struggle in these areas, you need to ask God to help you with these areas. God, I'm good at my heart. I'm good at my now. Come on, work with me. We're good with our now, right? Because we, we know how to go to God with our presence, with our present space. But God, help me with my soul. Help me with my eternity. Help me to see eternity the way you see it rather than the way I've seen it. It's not a club med at the end of my life. It's not, you know, Sandals Resort when it's all over. This is eternity we're talking about. And then God, help me, get, give me, help me to desire greater understanding for your word. To get to know what your word really says, not what just is preached on a Sunday. To really study your word. To dig deep. And then God exhaust my flesh so my spirit can live. Let my love exhaust my flesh. Can we help with something? You probably wouldn't sin if your flesh was exhausted. Let the love that you have for God, let it wear out your flesh so your spirit man can take over. Because it says in your weakness, he becomes strong. He meant for you to struggle in weakness so that he could become your strength. It's okay if your flesh is weary. Let your spirit man take over. That is what God says. Love me with you. Love me with all this. So I can give you the strength that I have for you. And let it change you from the inside out. You get anything out of this this morning? Number one, mission of this church. Love God. Stand to your feet. You stand in this place, no eyes, no eyes closed, no heads bowed. You stand in this place, say, I'm a sinner, need Jesus. Right now, hand goes up, right now. You're in this place, I'm a sinner, needs Jesus. Come on, I'm a sinner right now. I got sin in my life, I need God to take it out. I'm not going to raise my hand, I don't want anybody to think anything bad about me. No, nobody's thinking anything bad about you. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm talking about right now in the present condition where you live, there is sin in your life and you need to get it out. That's you in this place. Get to the altar right now. Get to the altar right now. Move. 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 I know you're in this room. Get. Come on. Boy, you should be running right now. This is your day of salvation. This is your moment. Come on. There is no condemnation. There is no, ooh, look who that is. Boy, if you're pointing a finger going, ooh, 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 I told you, you should run your butt to this altar right now because you're a gossiper. So sick of that foolish demon in the church. We want to point out everybody's flaws rather than rejoice in their freedom. I'm just going to say this. It made me angry watching what happened on social media with TC this week and watching people's pious attitudes like they're some kind of big wig star. Ooh, I hope to God that somebody shows them grace when they make mistakes. I hope to God they don't come back to bite them on the backside. Now look at me, watch, watch, just look at me, watch. Shrug off condemnation, please. 
Because I'm going to help you understand something. The Bible says for those who are in. Now, I want you to understand this. That word in is also defined as the word found. Not a representation of already being in. Those who are found by Christ are no longer under condemnation. Just catch this for a second. So many times we think that we have to already be in to not be under condemnation. No, no, no. When you say, God, I'm lost and I need to be found, then no condemn, the condemnation comes off of you immediately. Okay? Number one. So just let it off. Let it, let it die. I can feel it. I can, I can feel it. Some of y'all are up here. I can feel the condemnation. Because you're like, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I've made mistakes. I'm, such, I'm messed up. We're all messed up. Hello. I've been messed up for a long time. But I understand that he's my answer. He's my saving grace. He's the one that I cling to. Maybe you haven't been loving God with all your heart. Maybe you haven't been loving him with all your soul or your mind or your strength. Whatever that is, I'm going to challenge you. The way to beat the sin nature in you is to give God the four pillars of your existence. I'm telling you, you'll beat sin every time. You'll beat it. You'll break it. You'll shatter it. It'll never come back. Look, I'll tell you the story real fast. When I was younger, I battled with pornography. Oh, it got weird in the church all of a sudden. Ah, no, he went to jail and had pornography problems. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. My bad. The enemy was winning. I grew up in the church. I knew better. But here's what I did. I went to church. I didn't go to God. I didn't give him the pillars of my life. I just gave him my body at church. And played the game. My wife asked me, she said, how did you break it? How did you shatter that thing? Because I kept asking God to use me. And God says, how can I use you when you're not with me? And I had to make a decision who I was going to live with. Was I going to live with the secrets of my sin? Or was I going to live with the freedom of my Savior? That's how you break the bondage. I'm not less of a person because I struggled. Let's be honest. Most men in the world do or have. But it wasn't the problem of what I did. It was the willingness to say, God, I'll give you everything. Just use me. So you're standing at this altar. You say, Pastor, I don't want to have sin anymore. Good. Lay it down. But just promise me you're not going to come back and pick it up when service is over. Don't come sweep it back up, shove it back in your pocket and act like you're going to make it because you're not. Because the sin will kill you. But the Jesus that I serve will save you. And so I need you to understand right now in this moment, God is declaring his love for you in the heavens. There's rejoicing happening. I said it to you last week over just one. Heaven rejoices. Just one. Could you imagine the sound in heaven right now? I told you at the house we're going to start having rejoicing Sundays. Because heaven will rejoice because of this house. We're making heaven rejoice today. You're making heaven rejoice right now. They're not like, oh, I told you she was coming. I told you he was coming, God. No. Celebration has launched into heaven because you said yes. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. Find me, God, because I'm lost. With your eyes bowed and head closed, your hands stretched towards these that are standing here, altar team, if you'll work in right now. 
Now, if you're not going to pray for these, don't stretch your hands. Don't do it. Because I don't like religious antics. You were once a sinner. You've had this moment. Pray for them like they're your family right now. Pray for them that God will heal them, deliver them, set them free. That the bondage of sin is being broken right now. That the bondage of sin is being broken right now. The bondage of sin is being broken right now. It's being broken forever. You don't have to look back. It's being broken right now. Let it break. Now look at me. Look at me. This can either be the best day or the worst day of your life. All depends on how you choose to look at it. It could be the worst day because you're divorcing your past. Or it could be the best day because now you're lost in the greatest day of your freedom. However you choose to look at it, it's up to you. But I would challenge you to leave sin here and walk out with the Savior today and watch how your life is radically shifted. You're not broken. You're not, you're not a mistake. You're, you're not a, an issue. You're the heart of God. You are the heart of God. And you have to receive that this morning. So if you trust